At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of your Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your Hornets podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us here on a special edition of the HHC as we take time out from our player profiles, wrapping up the end of last season and looking ahead to the future with our instant reaction to last night's draft lottery results. The Hornets, they didn't move up any, they didn't lose any ground either, so we're going to break this down from every which way. And to help me do it today, we have back once again here on the Hornets Hivecast, the Hornets coordinator of digital media content. You see his work all the time on Hornets.com. Sam Purley back for another two Sam's edition of the HHC. So, Sam, real quick, the draft lottery results are as follows. The uh, the back end, not a whole lot of drama. Basically, I was looking very chalky through the first uh, six or seven teams announced, and then it started to get a little interesting. The Detroit Pistons move up very slightly and win the lottery. They will pick first. Houston will go second. Cleveland, who, depending on how you look at it, is either the luckiest team in the lottery or unluckiest because they're always in the lottery, but they go number three. Toronto has the biggest move of the day. They jump from seven to four and then the rest of the 14 it'll go magic at five thunder at six golden state warriors by way of a trade pick coming to fruition gets number seven magic again at eight then the kings Pelicans, your Charlotte Hornets at 11, Spurs, Pacers, and the Warriors with their own pick at 14. The draft lottery results are in. Sam, your initial reaction? Well, my initial reaction is obviously it would been great if the Hornets could have moved up again. Obviously, they hit, you know, got very, very lucky last year, jumping from 8 to 3. But I think if you're a Hornets fan, just with the way last year transpired and moving up for the first time in 20 years and getting a franchise player and a guy that, you know, was a runaway rookie of the year, I think overall, I think you're 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 happy with what happened. I don't know if we want to get greedy or anything, but if they hadn't won last year, maybe this one would have stung a little bit more. I keep wondering when your turn is going to be, but I think overall, just with the trajectory, it would have been great to move up. But you know, based on what happened last year, I think overall you got what you wanted last year. You know, you, the odds of it happened two years in a row were pretty slim. So you know, they'll find a good player at 11. There's been a lot of good players, and you know, hopefully someone that kind of fits in this roster really well. There's a lot of franchises that have been playing for ping pong balls for quite some time this season based off certain circumstances but some have done it for years and one thing that I saw in doing some research for this is teams that win the lottery and do it in successive years I should say don't necessarily see immediate returns since 2011 teams have gotten back-to-back top five picks 19 times only five of those teams made the playoffs the following season only eight of the 
19, made the playoffs the season after that. You've got plenty of examples of teams that picked top three, top five, year after year after year, and didn't see anything come from it. Think the, the Lakers, 2015 through 2017, three consecutive number two overall picks. They didn't make the playoffs until LeBron James decided to go and wear purple and gold, and basically they got rid of everyone they picked in that time period along the way. Similarly, the Philadelphia 76ers, the, the, the process and all of that, yes, it's gotten them to the number one seed in the Eastern Conference for this year's postseason, albeit a little bit of an early elimination by most 76ers fans' feelings, but they picked Ben Simmons, Jaleel Okafor, Joel Embiid. I mean, they had multiple picks year after year. Also, Markel Fultz in that group as well. So my point for bringing this up is that just because you quote-unquote win the lottery does not mean that you are going to immediately jump into the playoffs, even if you do it multiple years in a row. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. It's not a foolproof system. And I think you look at this year, you know, every maybe one, maybe seven, eight years, there's that generational franchise-turning guy. But like you said, I mean, things happen. Markel Fultz being a great example. I mean, no one could have seen with that transpired to Ben Simmons is another example lately no one could really kind of see that he might have had the struggles he's had lately and then you know back into the lottery you can find generational guys Giannis Antetokounmpo was not even in the lottery you know Clay Thompson Kawhi Leonard guys in the back half of the lottery so the winning the lottery is just kind of part of the process you have to put surround talent you have to surround your picks with talent you have to get veteran leadership foster a culture of winning growth, development. It's just one part of the equation. I actually just finished a really good book by, I'll give a quick book recommendation, Built to Built to Lose. It's by Jake Fisher of Bleach Report. Fascinating account of sort of the era of tanking from maybe like 2013 to 2016, and then some of the different franchises that went through and how it affected them culturally, organizationally, how different teams approached it. So it's not a perfect formula. It is a formula team obviously have been utilizing lately, but it's just Winning that lottery is just one little part of the puzzle. There's so much other work you have to do to make that pick come to fruition. For the record, I don't blame a team like, say, Orlando that sees a, a significant injury they and they make a decision to trade away certain assets knowing that, you know, by no fault of their own, just the, the basketball gods uh, didn't shine on them that day. They have to make a move for the long-term benefit of the franchise. It's other situations that Built to Lose book is talking about where teams seem to go into a year thinking, all right, let's get as many ping pong balls ahead of time as we can and don't maybe make that honest effort, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's And I think it kind of pinpointed Boston as a team that didn't necessarily tank, but approached a rebuild with a little bit more of a more successful approach than, say, the Sacramento Kings or the Philadelphia 76ers. It was, let's get talent in here. Let's start cultivating it. Let's get it and start kind of building and building and building. And then, obviously, they had sort of the benefit of those Nets picks from the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade kind of paying off in the back, you know, 2016, 2017 range, getting Jalen Brown. So that helped a lot. But it's just it was kind of a fascinating. I think Jake Fisher, he works for Bleacher Report. He's really, really good account. If anybody wants to read a book, um, especially at this time of year, we're kind of getting into the lottery, post-lottery draft evaluation. Really, really fascinating. But, yeah, every team kind of – approaches the process differently and I think last year when the Hornets did move up to three at the time then obviously drafted LaMelo Ball Mitch Kupchak was very clear that this is just part of the you know development this is just part of getting this franchise turned around it's not the end-all be-all you got to surround LaMelo Ball with talent you got to surround him with the right players that's a huge part of this you got to put the right players around the person you get otherwise they're not going to be successful you got to put around the right culture 
right veterans. You know, it takes time. It's not easy. It's really, really not easy. So I do love the fascinating the chemistry and the team building element of all of it is really, really interesting, especially now that we know what the order is going to be. It's kind of start piecing together who's going to go where. That Boston team you referenced, by the way, they were one of three teams in 2016 and 2017 to pick top five in both of those drafts. They were the only ones that made the playoffs afterwards. So to your point, building a certain type of culture and and acquiring draft picks with a certain mindset, they picked three both years. Tatum and Brown obviously has led them to being a perennial playoff team ever since. The Lakers picked number two in both those drafts, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, neither of whom were with the organization, although you could argue it netted them one of their superstars. And then the Phoenix Suns, Josh Jackson and Dragon Bender, for all of the things that the franchise is now achieving, those two players are not a part of it. So the draft, it's an exciting time. It certainly has a lot of possibilities for the future, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to be a home run just because they're put in a certain spot on a draft board. Before we move ahead, I want to get winners and losers to last night's lottery, Sam. Let's start on the losing side. I'll let you pick first. Which team is the saddest heading into the NBA draft after last night's results? Uh, I think it's. I think it has to be Minnesota. I think with the way Minnesota stands right now, they're only twenty three and forty nine, or they were twenty three and forty nine last year. Um, they owed their pick to the Warriors from the Aaron Andrew Wiggins, um, D'Angelo Russell trade from last year. I think it was top three protected. So if it fell out of the top three, which it did, I think they were slotted sixth and fell to seventh. The Warriors got it. Um, I think with a young team like them, you got to get, you just got to get talent through the door. I think they would have ended up owing the pick to the Warriors next year, but I think you'd rather just have it this year and get whoever that player is into the building and start developing them when you have sort of the time frame of, say, we won 23 games this year. We got to, we got some time before we're thinking about being a playoff contender. So I think if you look at it, it was only, maybe a few teams here or there, but I think Minnesota has to be the loser just simply because they don't have that first-round pick and they're a team that just needs an influx of talent right now. I think that's fair to say. Another one I would throw into the mix is Oklahoma City. Uh, They obviously made some decisions in terms of sitting certain players uh, with the thought of potentially moving up in the draft. They end up falling to six. I don't know if it's just the people's obsession with the certain certain numbers or whatnot, but usually when people have been profiling the top of this year's class, they don't make it to six. They stop somewhere around three, four, or five at the very latest. Not to say that there aren't going to be some spectacular players, because there definitely will be, but for Oklahoma City and their fan base to go through all that pain of this season, the way it transpired to end up with six, I don't think that's going to necessarily be a lot of excitement from their perspective. How about winners? Who's the big winner from last night's lottery? I think it's, I mean, it's got to be Detroit. I mean, Detroit won it. I mean, that's why you do this. Is you want to get to the top. You want to have your choice of the number one player. And I think, you know, Detroit has a lot of good young talent there. They really kind of overhauled the roster this past year with a new general manager. Um, they had ended up, I think, with two guys they drafted in the middle round, middle of the first round. Isaiah Stewart and Sadique ended up on a rookie team. I mean, that's a huge, huge win to have that. You know, you, you pick two guys in that part of the draft and both end up on the all-rookie team. Um, and then their lottery pick last year, Killian Hayes, didn't even play that much because he had a hip injury for most of the year. So they got a good, lot of good young talent. Um, I just think it has to be Detroit. I think, you know, when you win the first overall pick, and I think I read that this is the first time the Pistons have ever moved up in the lottery, although I'm not sure exactly sure if they moved up since they were still at first, but, you know, um, they had never moved up in the lottery with their own pick. The only exception being in 2003 when they moved up 
and I believe it was either Memphis or New York's pick. They moved up and uh, took Darko Milosic. So I think it's got to be the Pistons. The Pistons are the big winner. They're they're walking away with the number one number one choice. I think that's a fair uh, fair statement there. I'd also throw in Golden State and Orlando, each getting multiple picks. There were certainly scenarios where they would only be left with one, but to both be getting two lottery picks, that's always going to be uh, significant the way that goes down. And I'll say the Hornets as well, because while they ended up in the spot they were most likely to, picking number 11th, the second most likely scenario was for them to fall back to 12th the third most likeliest was to end up with a top four pick. It was close between those two, but I think there was a slight edge to number 12. So I'll call it a win that the Hornets pick 11th. Yeah, and I'll add one more to that. Um, just strictly from a numbers base, the Toronto Raptors, I think, had the biggest jump. They went from seven to four, and they're starting to kind of, I know they dealt with a lot of injuries and health and safety protocols last year. And then obviously we're not even playing in Toronto last year. They spent the whole year in Tampa. Um, so it was a really long year for the Raptors. I think they're still trying to kind of regroup a little bit after losing Kawhi Leonard a couple summers ago. And that's a team that could really use an influx of talent or star. I think Kyle Lowry is also a free agent this summer. But to go from, I think, what it was, seven to four into what we talk about is maybe a four to five-ish player draft, that's a that's a big jump. I mean, that, it's not a home run, but it's a you know pretty sizable move for a team that had a long year both on and off the court and could really use a little bit of a boost heading into this next season. Generally speaking, every draft ends up having somewhere in the vicinity of maybe five to eight or nine players that will at some point in their career make an all-star team. So that that doesn't mean they all go one through nine, but obviously the higher you pick, the more uh, more of those guys are supposed to still be on the board. But every year, one or two last a little bit longer. And in hindsight being 2020, we look back at certain drafts and say, Giannis Antetokounmpo went 15th, Nikola Jokic went in the second round, so uh, maybe one of those guys will be picked 11th. This season, that's the pick the Hornets hold. We're going to talk about the history of pick number 11 next here on the Hornets Hivecast. Hornets fans, the buzz is building. For season ticket packages for the 2021-2022 season, call 704-HORNETS or visit hornets.com to chat live with a season ticket representative. Lock in your price today. Sam Farber and Sam Purley here with you on the HHC. The Hornets in the lottery selection last night stand pat. They stay at number 11. And Sam, let's look a little bit here at the history of the number 11 pick. In recent history, it's been the Hornets pick. This is the third time in the last five seasons that Charlotte will pick number 11. They've had some success with it. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was the selection in 2018. He was obviously traded immediately for Miles Bridges, who had the dunk of the decade in this most recent season and has established himself as a real key piece of this franchise. And then, of course, Malik Monk went the year before that for the Hornets in 2017. He also had a big season, uh, this most recent one. Your thoughts on the Hornets being number 11 for the third time in the last five years? It's interesting. I think it's. I've been with the organization. I think five years full time. This kind of feels like uh, feels like we're always is. And I think the one year they weren't. I think it was. I think PJ was twelfth pick maybe in two thousand nineteen. And then 
Obviously, I won't complain. I'll do four years of 11 if you can move up to three and get a player like they did LaMelo Ball. But yeah, it's an interesting position. It's, you know, you're right on the fringes of that top 10. So, you know, it's, it's weird how things shake out. I think, like you mentioned before, there's always going to be guys that people have penciled into that four, five, six position that end up falling to 12 or 13. I think a perfect example last year was Tyrese Halliburton. I think everyone had Tyrese Halliburton maybe going maybe four-ish, five-ish, and then I think when sometimes when teams assume a player is going to go four or five-ish to this team, they kind of lock in on a guy. And then when a player like Halbert falls into him, you're kind of like, well, we've already got our guy. He kind of just keeps progressively falling and falling. And then he ended up, I think, going 13th last year to Sacramento. Ended up being the finalist for rookie of the year. So every year it feels like there's someone kind of slips through the cracks a little bit, whether it's the reason, you know, an injury, a visibility thing, or, you know, bad workout, bad combine showing. You know, I think wherever you draft, you can find talent anywhere. There's so many talented players. I mean, we're watching Western Conference Finals right now, and Terrence Mann is starting for the Clippers, or is, I think he was in the 50s in the 2019 draft. So it's crazy. You can always find guys. And like you said, hindsight is a, is a very common element of this for sure. In terms of the best number 11 picks in the history of the draft, there were two that stuck out to me. One, it has to be far and away, the best number 11 pick of all time at this stage, Reggie Miller of the Indiana Pacers, one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time, ultimate clutch player. The other one, though, I think is more interesting from the Hornets' perspective, and that was the number 11 pick in 1992. That was the year the Rockets had that pick, and it was Robert Ory. And the reason I think that's significant is because he really ended up being the missing piece to not just a playoff team, but a championship team. The year after he was selected 11th by the Rockets, they went to the playoffs, and the following year was the start of back-to-back championships. They had a lot of their uh, key pieces in place with Hakeem Olajuwon and others, um, but Big Shot Rob, who won so many championships in his career, being a key component to a lot of different franchises. Early in his career, he was that key missing piece for Houston. Maybe the Hornets find a missing piece in this draft as well. Yeah, I think the name, I, I kind of did a little glance at the history through the last couple of years. I think Cam Johnson was 2019. We talked about Shea, we talked about Monk. DeMontis Sabonis, too, and Miles Turner, two guys that are now both on the Indiana Pacers, both 11th picks, although Sabonis was taken by the Magic at the time. A couple other ones that stuck out to me, I think the most prevalent one outside of Reggie Miller, I know, obviously, Ori had all those championships and big moments, but Clay Thompson was 11th in 2011. He's had you know, quite a career, and one of, going down as arguably one of the greatest shooters of all time. And then another one, too, kind of fitting in line with the shooters. Maybe there's a theme at this 11th overall pick is J.J. Redick in 2006, and he's had going on a 15-year career now, been very, very productive, one of the game's all-time great sort of glue guy, three-pointer professionals. So um, you can find talent anywhere. I'll say it maybe from every now until the next You can find talent anywhere. You just got to do your homework, pay attention, scout, and just you know be ready to go come draft night. Well, who are some of those names that could be selected at number 11? We've gone through all the variety of draft boards. We're going to give you some of the names that were put out pre-lottery and see uh, what some of the thoughts are from Sam Purley when we return here on a post-lottery edition of the Hornets Hivecast. 
Be sure to check out the Hornets Fan Shop at Spectrum Center. Now open Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Check out all the newest Hornets gear or grab a new pair of J's. It's an easy trip on the light rail or you can shop from the comfort of your own home 24-7 at HornetsFanshop.com. Sam Farber and Sam Purley here with you on a Two Sams edition of the HHC. And Sam, the Hornets stick in the number 11 position for the upcoming NBA draft which will happen next month and we'll have all kinds of coverage leading up to it and then afterwards going into summer league and obviously into the 2021-2022 season there's a lot of different organizations and publications putting out draft boards so we've gone through them all and here are some of the names that have come out for the number 11 pick and they seem to to go into two camps one is the general big man you've got Alperin Sengun from Turkey as well as Isaiah Jackson of freshman power forward from Kentucky who have been slotted either as the number 11 overall player or with the number 11 pick in a variety of lottery draft boards. Then you've got uh, more of your small forward shooting guard type in Moses Moody out of Arkansas, Keon Johnson of Tennessee, and Jalen Johnson out of Duke. What have you heard so far in terms of the the general range the Hornets were slated to fall in and now have been put into at number 11 and some of the names you've heard thrown around? Yeah, I think now that the dust has kind of settled a little bit, first off, we are not, we should make it very, very clear, we are not advocating with certain players. We're not saying draft this guy. This is all strictly kind of third-party ESPN, NBA draft, things like that. And I think it's important to note what Mitch said during his exit interview and video press conference thing is I think that when you're picking at 11, unless something really, really kind of unexpected at this point where the Hornets are, they're still kind of a fringe playoff team, is the best player available. So you basically get your big board, you rank every single player one to whatever it is, 300, and then you go from there. Um, you're not necessarily picking for fit or need at the time. Sometimes you are, generally you're not. So there's a lot of deep, talented deep draft there's a lot of talented players in it some of the names like you mentioned i think there's a lot of it seems like there's a lot of wings and a lot of guards Corey kisper from gonzaga franz wagner from michigan his brothers in the nba Mo wagner you mentioned sangoon another one that's kind of in that late lottery range is josh giddy who plays for um adelaide in the nbl in australia which is the same program that Lamelo ball just came from so james booknight usman garuba an under, kind of an undersized big man from Real Madrid in Spain. So these are kind of the guys in the NBA, the general kind of, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski's, you know, Draft Express, Mike Schmidt's guys like this, are kind of penciling in in that 9 to 16 range. And I think once you get outside of maybe the top five or six, that's when, you know, things start to get stirred up a little bit more and you see a little bit more variation with these mock drafts. So, um, I think, you know, if you're looking for wing depth, if you're looking for center, if you're looking for guard depth, I think the Hornets are going to have their choice. If they do want to go down a specific route, I think they're going to have plenty of options at 11 for sure. And to your point, you know, we're, we're not advocating for anyone or, or anything like that. Again, we're just reading off draft boards, players that have been slotted into uh, certain positions or, or the position that the Hornets have now found themselves in. Um, but you brought up a good point uh, with, with what Mitch Kupchick had said, and I would agree with it that, you know, when you are not a playoff team, if you're not, say, 
I, I think a team like maybe the Golden State Warriors who have multiple lottery picks and also have proven superstars, either healthy ones and Steph Curry and injured ones from last year, Clay Thompson coming back, they've got a little bit more of an idea of what they have and what they might be missing to extend their playoff window. But most teams that are drafting in the lottery, they're there for a reason, and that is they miss the playoffs. And if you miss the playoffs entirely, you're probably not one player or one piece away from making a championship. So that best player available mantra, it's it's not just a talking point. It's a necessity for teams like this, because if you start reaching and saying, well, I think we've got our small forward of the future, but we got to find our center or we, we think we've got this position, but we need a little bit more of ball handling skills or whatever it might be you might miss on the all-star that's sitting there in front of you because you were trying to fill a statistic rather than get the best player onto your squad. Yeah, and that Golden State's a good point because they've kind of been in this situation twice now. You know, maybe I forget whether they're ever at six. I mean, they're probably not going to be looking to get the starting point guard. I think they're kind of set in that area right now. They can be a little bit more selective with what they do with that pick because they have title aspirations where, you know, a immediate short-term title aspirations where I think obviously like you said the rest of the teams in the lottery for the most part don't so I think you kind of just look at you know look at your big board and god forbid if you draft a guy and he ends up being an all-star and you've got two all-stars or two really really talented players playing the same position you trade one of them down the line I think it's it's not a bad problem to have but there is something to be said for you want to make sure that if you've already got a certain amount of assets and resources devoted to one position you want to make sure that still develops and that you're not diverting any playing time away. So there is, it's a careful balancing act, chemistry, you know, you don't want to go and take point guard, point guard, point guard, point guard, point guard every single year in the draft just because that guy's rated the highest on your board because at some point some of those guys aren't going to play and then you're not going to get the most out of them. So there is a science to it. That's why we're not in basketball operations. We're here talking on a podcast. It's hard. It's hard to get it right. Roster building is not easy at all as you can see um, around the NBA only one team is going to get it fully right this year so it's I'm excited I'm really excited and excited to see what guy the Hornets are going to end up adding as well as they have two later second round picks as well so hopefully they come away with some good players this year last thing to ask you about before we wrap up this podcast the fact that we are slated to have at least a more normal offseason than last year that will come into effect later on when we're looking at say summer league and the development of whomever the Hornets end up picking but also right here right now we're seeing the impact uh, players are still in town getting workouts at the facility they can do that this year that wasn't really available to them last year and also in the evaluation process the teams are going to get more opportunities and and longer looks at these players than anyone in the 2020 draft class. What kind of impact do you think that will have for the Hornets in particular and the NBA in general? I think it's going to do nothing but help. I think last year was really, really challenging because you stopped playing March and a lot of the international leagues also stopped playing. I mean, LaMelo stopped playing, I think, in December or November. I mean, he didn't go play a full year, so he didn't have tape on any of these guys or updated tape. You didn't know what they were doing during the pandemic necessarily, whether they were able to stay in shape, weren't able to work them out. Everything was done over Zoom. And for the most part, I think the rookie class this year just was fabulous. I thought they played really, really, really well. It was really, really high level considering all the uncertainty last year. But now that, you, like you said, you come back around, you've got the draft combine going on right now. You've got you know a full college season with high-stakes NCAA tournament games to look at. You've got Euro League finals. You've got you know other foreign leagues 
finishing up. You've got guys that are able to fly to cities and work out, not only work out, but you can do it in group workouts now and do three on three and meet with teams and then go through the whole draft process in a much more normal setting. Um, and then following it up with going into a summer league training camp and then going to summer league and being able to have some sort of clarity where they're going. I remember last year, the guys got drafted and it's two weeks later, it's get ready, preseason game, let's go. So I think all things considered last year, the rookie class was exceptional considering all the adversity they dealt with. But I think it's only going to help the Hornets. It's only going to help the NBA this year with all this stuff they have back that just wasn't available last year. The NBA draft will be on July 29th. Make sure you're staying tuned here to the Hornets Hivecast. We'll continue to have coverage leading up to it. And make sure you continue to click on Hornets.com. Sam Purley's great work covering all of the potential draft picks as well as the entire draft process will be there as well. Sam, thanks as always for joining us here on the Hornets Hivecast. Yes, thank you for having me. And thanks to all of you for tuning in as well. A reminder, Friday we will continue our look back at the 2020-2021 season as we continue our player profiles going through the entire roster. Uh, We're getting into the guys who have a a little bit more meat left on the bone in terms of their contracts. So you'll start uh, hearing more of our profiles and hearing from players like Gordon Hayward and LaMelo Ball. Next up on the list is Cody Martin. Till next time, for everyone here, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you with us and tune in again next time on the Hornets Hivecast. Thanks for listening to the Hornets Hivecast. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.